We're going to take a look at James, the third chapter. How many of you know that uh, James uh, just happened to be the brother of uh, Jesus? Well, it didn't just happen to be, he was. And the, or pardon me, the second chapter of James. James, uh, if you follow his and read his book, he's a no-nonsense guy. I mean, uh, he, he really doesn't care. I don't even know that he, I know he didn't care about being politically correct. He just had an anointing in his life, and how God spoke to him, that's what he penned, the inspired Word of God. And that's what he said. He, uh, his book is uh, just full of teachings and guidance and direction in almost every area of, uh, of a person's life. We know that this, uh, well, this past uh, Sunday night was actually no, it was, what was, what's before Sunday? Saturday. Saturday night, during the night, our power flipped off and on. And uh, the only morning of the week that I set an alarm is on for Sunday morning. It's um, just want to be sure. I thought if, if I didn't set it, the devil would probably make me oversleep, of which I just never do. You know, just when about 445 comes along, I'm ready to let's move on. And, uh, but so I said it, so it flickered in which, uh, awakened and power surged. So we didn't know. And Sharon, you know, thought maybe it's just our house, you know? Uh, well, I doubt it, but at any rate, you know, after we checked around and found out that it wasn't just our house, but we have a, a stove, you know, most everybody does. And, uh, and an oven, we have another oven, and we have one stove, it's oven, and it's that four-top stuff. Uh, and it's relatively new. In other words, it hasn't been, it's relatively new. Um, and uh, so the, the LED light would not come on. Now, the now burners would come on and everything, but it just, well, what are we going to do? It's like, you know... Uh, Sharon, maybe we need to get another one. Oh, no. Uh, we, can, we can check that one out. This one doesn't work. So uh, I just stood and looked at it. I thought you could turn it on, the burner on, but you, wouldn't, you didn't know on the LED whether you had it on high or whatever. You didn't know with the oven when it came on. You, didn't, you just didn't know anything. I thought this thing is worthless. You know what I'm saying? I mean... It's worthless. So at any rate, we call a repair person, and uh, he came out this morning. And Sharon said, take a look at it, and he pulled it out. And uh, after he pulled it out, he was suturing it, I mean, screwing it back together when I got there. And uh, so he said, well, she said, would you let him see it? He had to retake it all apart again and let me see it, uh, you know, uh, at any rate, so he he said, "Well, okay, probably going to need a whole new board." I, I don't like the probably you need a whole new board. You know, you know what I'm saying? I want to know if we need a new board or we don't need a new board. I want to know. But anyway, probably. So he put it back and he plugged it in, and he's pushing it back. All of a sudden, it came on. It was the craziest thing. He turned to me. He said, "Well, Reverend, apparently you did something. I didn't do anything." You know, he said, it just came. I've never seen that before in my life. He said, it must be a reset button or reset in the system that when we unplugged it, plugged it back in, it reset. How many knows I like that? So we just paid a delivery fee, no board, and it it works. Um, I have a a blower that I bought brand new. And... uh, I've used it once or twice, blowing. So when the storm came, thought, well, I'm going to pull that baby out, use it. Well, then it wouldn't start. And I pulled it and pulled it and pulled it. How many of you know there is a place when you have something like that, that it goes beyond it won't start? How many know what I'm talking about? Into the arena, oh, yes, you are going to start. You know what I mean? Oh, yes, you are. If you think you're not going to start, you're going to start. 
And so anyway, it, it did. And it just, it ran, I mean, you talk about doing the job for 10 minutes. And then it just stopped. And so I reached and I started again. And I'm, I'm you know, you ever have these emotions? I don't, maybe I'm, I know I'm weird, but I'm ready to chunk it in the garbage. I thought, if you're no good, I'm going to get rid of you right now. I don't feel that way about any of you, of course. Uh, but I'm going to throw you in the garbage. You can just forget it. Uh, that, that kind of thing. And, and there's nothing more that's aggravating that you have something that's supposed to work and doesn't work. I'm leaving the church grounds at lunch today. I, I go to leave the grounds and somebody posted a sign. You can't go out this exit. You got to go over to the Mall Hill exit. I thought, hey, I pastor this church. I'll say whether or not you can get out that exit. I mean, not to mention there was big tree trucks out there taking down trees and picking up limbs with heavy equipment. But how many of you know if you have a will, there is a way that you can work around it? Amen? And so I did. I made it through, waved all the way by them as I went, went by. But it was like, I, this is the road I take. If, if you were the creator of the church, how many of you know who the creator of the church is? God. You know, who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. Son of the living God is the head of the church. Let's say he created the church. And he said, okay, here's how the church is supposed to function. This is how I want those people who are the church. This is how I want you to function. And what do you think that, that, that God feels like when maybe the church isn't functioning the way that he created it to function. You know, you, you, everybody understand that? 80% or pardon me, 20% of the people in the average church do 80% of the ministry. Let me say that again. 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry. Now, that just should not be. Now, the church culture today in which we live, um, that's, that's, not, that's not uncommon. It's the way it is in the church culture. That's why, for example, that many people in the church, the 20%, are doing more than one thing. They're serving in a lot of areas. They're serving outside of the church. I had a man tell me one time, Pastor, you don't know what all I do outside of the church i said i know i don't but i should know and maybe the reason you don't want me to know you're not doing as much as you think you are he was a friend do you see what i'm saying now what does the culture say i talked about this last night to a group of ministers the culture will always tell you tell us that, hey, being a Christian is a solid religion. I talked about the percentage of people who just chose, called, just chose not to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And James begins to deal with that. So let's try this on for size. God, according to his word, never created the church to uh, be a museum. He never created the church to be a cold institution. He never called the church to be a formal place of gathering for an organization. God created the church to be alive, to be a light, to be effective, to be on fire, to be strong and dynamic and powerful in the gifts of the Spirit. If you agree, say amen. amen. That's God's desire according to the book that James writes, and it is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know that he created the church to be a demonstration of the character and the gifts of the Spirit that come through uh, the Holy Spirit. So now, here's our marching orders. You've heard it in the new series, the, the main thing. And so he says, okay, here's my church. 
Here's what I ask you to do. Mark, 15, or Mark 16, go in the world, preach the good news to all creation. That's everybody. And whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. So you preach it, whoever believes shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be what? Condemned. Not just lost, but condemned. If you don't believe, you are condemned. And he said, all these signs of the characteristics and the fruit of the Spirit will, in fact, accompany those and follow those that believe, that really depend on the Lord. So James takes up the task of what Jesus said out of Mark's gospel, and he begins to deal with it because here's what James saw. He saw people that by now the church has been going for for several years, and James is beginning to notice we're not walking everyone carrying the same load. We're not all shouldering our responsibility. We're not all lifting up the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And, and James is suggesting, and not just suggesting, but saying, hey, if you tell me you have faith, then he said, I better see some manifestations of what that faith means. And he also says, and if I see a lot of manifestation of work, it does not mean that you have faith. That's what he says. He said, you're just going to work and you're going to roll your sleeves up and you're going to be a good boy and you're going to sign in on Sunday and you're going to come and you're going to salute and say, okay, I attended worship. And when that religious duty is done, there is no servant spirit out of you that takes your talent and your ability and gets involved in the church. James said, let me tell you, you're dead. He just says it straight out. So he says in James 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And one of the subtle sins that we see in the culture today is this, that many people believe you can have faith and not have works. In other words, you can have faith and never go to church. You can have faith and never witness. You can have faith and never engage in any kind of event. You can have faith and just show up Sunday morning and walk out and leave. You can have faith and never help someone. You can have faith and say, I've, I've got faith. Yes, I am a Christian. And James has said, no, 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 no. You are blind by that thought. You know, I, there are several service organizations here in Lakeland that if you're going to belong to those service organizations, you've got to perform so many social civic duties during the year in order to maintain your membership in that organization. And that's just the way that it is. It's a subtle sin to believe. So James is dealing with the challenges of what the church faces. And here's what he comes up with. He says, hey, that many of the churches in his day, they want a relationship without a commitment. I just want to drop by say hello, but I don't want a commitment. He said they want benefits without sacrifice. That's entitlement. He said they want friendship, but they don't want fellowship. Just want to be your friend, but I want to go out to dinner with you. Don't want any part of that. They want life without living the life as it relates to Jesus Christ. He said they want existence and recognition, but they don't want purpose. Now think about that. They do not want purpose. And James is saying there is a direct relationship between faith and works and deeds. And he declares, deeds serve as an evidence and a testimony of that faith. So Matthew 7, verse 21, he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Be a servant, he says, that's the will of God. Reach and win souls. That's the will of God. He said, only he who does the will of the Father. 
Titus kind of phrases this way out of the message version. It's a little strong, but bear with me. They say they know God, but their actions speak louder than their words. They're real creeps, disobedient, good for nothings. That's not a message people want to hear. It's not a message. You can be a part of a relationship and not be a part of a relationship. James is saying, I see it. My, my brother, my half-brother, gave his life for you guys in this church. He said, I want to tell you, he gave it all. I witnessed him. I saw it. Faith simply does not exist, he says, unless the works are there. James 2.14, he goes on, For what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And then he asks this question, Can such faith save him? And the answer is a loud no. To believe that is destructive and damning. And when that is believed to be true, then there are glaring characteristics of that person, okay? Yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, but if they're not in action, you'll see these signs. Selfishness, conceit, single-mindedness, no absolute standard of, of a conscience, and no commitment. And James says that kind of a person, he who doubts, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. What does he mean? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are engaged in ministry, in ministry, in promoting and lifting up and exalting Jesus Christ, he said, there is something in you that gives you the security to know who you are. God, I, I just got knocked down, but I know you still love me. God, I know that my prayer has not been answered, but you're not shaking me loose. I'm still hanging in there. God, I, I know that I, I didn't think I deserved this. I thought I'd <laughs> done all the things that I needed to do, but I'm not giving up on you. I know. But he said, the guy, the guy who is weak, is superficial, that which comes along, he says, here's, here's what will happen. It'll knock him over. And he'll do his hands and say, I give up. I'm not going to quit. I had a man tell me this morning in a restaurant, I haven't been to church in forever. I said, I've been there. You know, I'm, I've been there. I've been covering for you. I've been right there. The, well, the obvious question is, well, why not? Why not? Now, here he goes. Number two, faith with works brings life. You invest in someone or something. If you say to a coworker, and you're the, I, I don't like the word boss, but you're the supervisor, and you say to that person, you know what? You are doing an excellent job. I can tell you one thing. I, I see you here, and you are just gun-ho. You know what you just did? You breathed life into that person. If you say to one of your children, i got to tell you, I'm so proud of you. See, they know how many times they disobeyed you. They know how many times they've been rotten behind your back. But when you say, I am so proud of you, I'm so glad to be called your dad or your mom, you know what you did? You breathed life into that kid. And when you breathe life into that kid, they have a greater determination to do the right thing. And that's what James is saying. He says, I want you to understand, he who doubts, he says, is like a wave and tossed by the wind. But he who sows the seed of the works and the love for Jesus, then he understands that. He said, you see that faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So James 2.22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Abraham. Now Abraham was called, he was called early. Amen? Called early. That's Abraham. What promise did Abraham have? Son, you're going you're to be the father 
of a nation. You're going to have, you're going to have descendants that are just going to be more numerous than the sands on the seashore. That's you, Abraham. That's you. Then let me ask you this question. If that statement was made about Abraham, and all those things are true, why did Abraham have to face the test of total commitment? Why did he have to do that? The illustration moves all the way from the Pentateuch over into the New Testament all the way over to the book of Hebrews. And it deals with Abraham. Verse 18, James, faith without works is dead, works without faith is dead. And here's what, here's what we know. Demons have that same privilege. Demons have faith, but they don't have works. Works that exalt the Father. Their works exalts the power of darkness. But demons believe. You know why? Because when they were cast out, remember, and all the pigs were cast out, they said, just give us a chance. We realize you're the Son of God. We believe we have faith, but they don't have works that would exalt the Heavenly Father. The works of demons exalt the powers of darkness. And that's what we understand. He said, we understand that, but we know faith and works together make life perfect. We become perfected and justified by our faith. So we have it in Abraham, uh, of Abraham in James 2, 21 and 23. It says, wasn't our ancestor, James talking about, okay, this is our, our relative here, made right with God by works. He was made right with God by works. When he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar, isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself in works and that the works are works of faith? The full meaning of believe in Scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his actions. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. It is not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by a faith fruitful in works. Do you love me? Sure, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. What maybe might be the next statement? Prove it. You say you love me, prove it. You say we're friends, don't throw me under the bus. You say you love me, prove that to me. And that's exactly what God required of Abraham. Because Abraham had been favored and prophetic utterance was spoken over him before he earned the right to have that promise come to pass. It took him time. Abraham was perfected, that's what we do, when he took his faith and proved it by his actions. His action spoke of his faith. His care spoke of his faith. His commitment spoke of his faith. His sacrifice spoke of his faith. His, his boldness spoke of his faith. His hospitality spoke of his faith. His surrender spoke of his faith. And he was made perfect in his partnership between faith and works, and he became whole and complete. So when I look at the action of faith, when I am engaged in the action of faith and building the kingdom of God, in the action of being obedient, in the action of commitment, somebody said to me, a lot of people say to me, but someone said to me, I want to do this for the church preacher. I hope you remember it. You, you know what you want to say? 
don't do it. Because you just blew your reward. You just blew it. You don't do that for me. You do that for the one who died for us. So he says, Matthew 19, 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You know what he said? Hey, you want to believe? You ask me, how is it possible? What can I do to inherit the life? He said, go take everything you have, get rid of it, sell it, get you an action step. And if you can't do that, you don't have any faith to work from. You want to follow me, you deny yourself. And we know that in the church, so often the culture in the church today, in general, very little do many people in far too many churches understand what it really, really means for sacrifice. I mean, you can think of probably 10 people right here at Victory Church say, all they ever do is come to church. You never see them engaged in anything. Now, do we love them? You can better believe we do. Well, pastor, what if they pay their tithe? Guess what paying tithe does? It makes you honest with God's blessing in your life. I tell staff people here, don't complain about when you say, I go to church, pastor, and I'm here all week long. I say to them, you get paid. But here's what I want you to do, everybody. I want you to take the average person, the lay person at Victory Church who works 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and then they come here on Sunday and they usher or they come to a committee meeting, or they come to church on Wednesday night, or they come to church on Sunday morning. They don't get paid for all that. In other words, here's what will happen. And an, a lay person that is committed to the ministry of the church will outwork you as a professional minister if you don't pay attention. Anybody out there? Now, he says, we practice faith when we illustrate the power and the presence of God. It becomes the strength of the church. We are the person of Jesus Christ. In the unbelieving world, when they see unity between what we say and what we do that exalts the Lord, they see perfection. That's what the church looks like. That's what it looks like. Hebrews 6.1, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on into the maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and the faith in God. You know what he said? Hey, if you're going to live it, get mature and then don't live like a child. Live like a robust, bold believer. And the best word ever spoken is a word that is a love in action. We know that. We are not called to be a social club or be a benevolent organization. Simply, we are called to exhibit the love of Jesus Christ by what we do. And we are called to share our faith in word and deed. And that is the instrument that delivers the positive good news of Jesus Christ. Finally. Finally, faith with works brings justification. If you say you have a business and somebody comes along and says to you, I want to be a partner in your business. And you own the business. But somebody comes along and said, I want to be a partner in your business. Now, what are you going to, I'm thinking if you're normal, you're going to say, well, what is it that you bring to the table? Why do I need you to be a partner in my business? I got a good profit margin. I've got money and investments. I've got a great team and a great staff. Many of them have been with me from the very beginning. So why should, <coughs> why should, 
I open the door for you to be a partner in my business. Tell me. Well, I'll tell you why. I just think you need a partner. Well, that's nice. You're going to have to do better than that. Well, I, I think that, you know, you've done pretty good, but with me as your partner, and we can discuss salary later, your business would explode, not implode. <coughs> would that be good enough for you and your business to say, well, I want you to come be a partner then? You had no initial investment. You're not bringing anything but the table, but, but words. And if you're smart, you know what you're going to say. <laughs> I don't need you as a partner because you've yet to explain to me what the manifested tangible benefit would be to me and my business for you to be a partner. And you know what? <clears throat> this is what James is trying to say. You and I have no right to be a partner with Jesus. We have nothing to bring to the table that would suggest we ought to have partnership with him. Nothing. We're not supernatural. We're not creative. We can't pull miracles down from the sky. We can't walk straight 100% of the time. We get lazy and well-doing. Why should the perfect supreme ruler of the universe extend an invitation to someone like us to be a partner with him. Does it make any sense, everybody? I thought it did. So then, why does he do that? Because in the Word of God, you see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. And the word justification means you are justified, means you have a reason to exist. And who made me justified? He did. He said, the minute that you believe, this is what he says, it's because it's so important. If a man confesses with his mouth, okay, and believes in his heart, not just confession, but and believes in his heart, it means I give my heart in faith to the one who justified me to have a place at the table. And may I ask you a question? Do you think it's possible supernaturally that we can catch the privilege that we have? Can we catch the beautiful opportunity to know that he called us and said, I want to give you a seat at the table. It's an eternal seat. I want to give you honor. I want to give you priesthood. I want to give you a name. I want to give you a place forever. I'm going to tell you that you're never going to have to work, worry, or even cry ever again. And I want you to know that I made you justified. Now, can you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that you accept what I've done for you and with you? And will you live in a way that says, I am so thankful that I've got a place at the table. I'm so thankful that of all the people he could have chosen. So what does he do? He gives the example of the harlot. We know that she was a high-class harlot, and we understand that. And we find her story, of course, in Hebrews, and it says about Rahab. What does it say about her? 
talks about her. She, this is what she said when Joshua's men came in. We heard of it and our hearts melted and everyone's courage fell because of you. For the Lord your God is a God in heaven above and on earth below. She said, I just confess with my mouth. But then she said, I want to put me on the line. You've got two spies. I'm going to hide them. If they find them in my place, I'm dead. But my heart melted when I heard what you have done. And I'm willing to hide the spies and take the risk of being killed. Jesus looks at us and James is trying to tell the church in his writings it's important. But what do we do once we know that we deserve a place at the table? We deserve a place at the table because, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So we know that as a result of that, God redeemed her. Now, I want to get on down to Luke 22. I'm going to get ready because we're going to go to prayer. So we believe and we confess, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, how do I know that? Why should you be at the table? You don't have anything to offer. You're right. I'm unworthy. And the only thing that brings justification to me is because you said you loved me. And only because you loved me, I very humbly sit at the table only because you ask. So here's what Jesus said. Now that you're in, this is what you do. He said, who is greater? Luke 22. <clears throat> he said, for who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who what? Serves. Then he answers. It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who what serves who's greater now that you have a place that you didn't deserve to be at the table i made that place for you but now that i've made a place at the table for you i want you to do what i did i want you to work i want you to serve I don't want your complaint. I don't want your murmur. I don't want your resistance. I don't want your rebellion. I don't want your arrogance. I don't want your pride. I just want you to come and serve. Because the more you serve, it makes more room at the table for others who have yet had an opportunity to sit down. Y'all with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you, we thank you, and we love you. We exalt you above every other name. You are the Lord. You are the King of kings. And we know that this wonderful group of people here and the many, many, many watching online, they know they're here. And God, I know maybe some thought, boy, the people that need to hear it are the ones that are not here. But you know, Lord, this message was delivered, and every person that's a part of Victory Church had a chance to hear it. If they're not here, then God, they missed it. So maybe there's a place in their life that they'll not get corrected because they missed what they should have heard. But would you bless in this room? Would you take this message right now and would you just let it permeate in our own hearts and our lives? And God, would you let it be so? And just in case someone's here listening online that's not right with Jesus, would you just repeat this prayer because Jesus would like to extend an invitation to you, confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart to have the privilege of seated, being seated at the table. He wants you at the table, but you can't have the seat. Oh, yeah, he made a way where there is no way. He created the seat, and he wants you to be there. But you got to confess with your mouth.
and you got to believe in your heart, and then you're in by the grace of God. So let's repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me. I am sorry. I have sinned, and I admit I've sinned, but I ask you right now, forgive me of all my sins. Create in me a pure heart. I claim this as my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Part of our service tonight is praying. We're going to take just a few minutes. I know what time it is. And if you have to slip out, you're just certainly welcome to. But I'd like for us to take maybe just five or ten minutes the most and just pray. And I think we can serve that way. I believe when we pray, God answers prayer. I believe it. (laughs) You got me covered? Yeah, I'm coming. How long ago was your accident? August 25th? Yes, sir. August 25th? Yes, sir. You were in the hospital. What, what happened in the accident to you? Uh, <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, shattered my arm, five broken ribs, tore my aortic valve, cracked vertebrae, a whole bunch. So motorcycle that put you under the car? I don't recall the whole at all. Okay. Now, you went to the doctor today? Yes, what, what was the purpose of going to the doctor? What kind of doctor was it? Uh, it was a follow-up on uh, my arm and my wound. And okay. What do they say about the heart? I see him tomorrow okay. at 3 o'clock. At 3 o'clock? Yes, sir. And the aorta, in other words, you had a torn aorta. Yes, sir. And they repaired it immediately. Yes, sir. What's your faith? It's unbelievable. It's, it changes your entire perspective perspective in life. It changes the way you look at other people and it proves that his promise is real. Do you think you deserve to live? No. No. Why do you think you lived? I don't know. The grace of God. God. Yes, sir. A work for you to do. Yes, sir. By the grace of God. Amen. 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 In the presence. Just find you a place to pray. Pray for Puerto Rico. Pray for Las Vegas. Pray for those families. Let's just spend a few minutes in prayer, shall we?
deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory and the honor. the glory. You deserve the glory. You deserve the glory and the honor and the honor. Lord, we lift, Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your name. You deserve the glory. You deserve the glory. Would you stand? Father God, we are humbled in your presence to know the invitation that you gave to us. And Lord, so many times we come to the table and we're not right and we're a bit soiled. That's the beauty of communion. To be able to take communion and to once again say, Jesus, forgive me. I remember what you did for me. I remember how you redeemed me and how you supplied when I didn't see anywhere for an answer to come from. When in my greatest need, you provided resources. Yet I'm so thankful. But Lord, I also know that should you tarry, there'll be other times. I just want you to know, I'm always going to be able to say that's my place at the table because of you. And I intend to make room for others at the table by just serving you. Let it be so. Bless every family, every person, every individual. And for those who have specific needs tonight, and they're time-sensitive and they're critical. In the name of Jesus, answer those needs. I pray for families, Puerto Rico. I pray for the surviving families of those in Las Vegas and wherever they were from. It has shaken that town. That town, Las Vegas, by some reports, had lost its consciousness. The conscience and the guide the love of money ruled. But an event happened in which God, some way or another, in the midst of brokenness and tragedy, our prayer is, may in some way you be lifted up. May some light shine so bright in the midst of that that individuals' eyes will be open to the power of Jehovah God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. There is no difference 
between the chosen and the ones that were not chosen. For the blood made a level place at the foot of the cross. So remember to cast your bears, your burdens upon him. Call upon him and he will answer you. Trust him, walk with him, and watch his hand cover you and overshadow you when the voices of anxiety and the troubles of evil persuasions come. He will protect you. Father, we claim that in Jesus' name by your spirit. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, everybody. God bless. Thanks for being here.